Is it on? It is on, definitely. Sorry, Barney. Thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, I, I guess the truth for me is that I like um, a film that's got um, a, a good story, good characters, people, something I can believe in. But it's also true, if I'm honest, that I do like stories with happy endings. Right? I, like, I like it to come all right at the end. Or if it doesn't come absolutely all right, I want there to be hope that, 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 that it can come all right. I don't want to be left down here in the doldrums when I walk out of the cinema or watching it at home. I want to, I want to be uplifted. Well, you know the story of Noah is a film that was released on Friday, I think, in the United Kingdom. It's been out in the States for a couple of weeks, or a week at least, and uh, a, a big box office film, according to the takings, for the first weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. It's on, I think, now down in Gloucester Keys, so maybe you might go and see it as well. <coughs> I was listening to a critic uh, talking, about, uh, talking about the film. Uh, she panned it, to be honest. She wasn't too impressed at all. And she, partly because of the, sort of the, the biblical uh, beginnings, I guess, or uh, uh, background to the film. But when describing it, she said it's a, a disaster film on an epic scale. A disaster film. And I guess that's uh, true. It's, uh, it's difficult to imagine, isn't it, a more terrifying scenario than the world being destroyed and everyone other than a few and all animal life other than a few being destroyed it is heart wrenching in fact I don't think any of us could really think about that scenario uh, without being if we really thought about it without being moved because it's terrible and how, how did this happen was it some sort of natural disaster on a, on a massive scale? Was it some man-made catastrophe? Well, in one sense it was, of course, but in another sense it happened simply because God said it would and God made it happen. I don't know about you, but that, that clearly raises some questions, doesn't it? I mean, what sort of God would do this? What sort of God would destroy the whole of human life other than one family who had chosen to continue humanity after this disaster? When people make films these days, particularly ones that are successful, of course, they go on and make sequels, don't they? And so you get you know, the next three or four in the line. And of course, if they're really successful and they can't go too much further forward, what do they do? They go backwards and they make what we call prequels, you know, like the Star Wars, three prequels. To understand, really, the story that, that Julia has read to us today, obviously she read it in a sort of fuller version of the biblical account. But to understand that story, we need to have a prequel. And I'm going to suggest that very briefly we look at Adam, the prequel to the movie of Noah. And uh, I just want to read, we haven't got time obviously to go all the way through the first few chapters of Genesis, but I just want to read one verse which in a sense brings things together. It's Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. And we read this. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them 
male and female, and blessed them. And when, were they, when they were created, he called them man or mankind. Three things come out quickly from those, that one verse or two verses. God created, right? God created everything. Created the universe. He created this planet in its entirety. He created it with land and sea and sky. He created everything that then came on this planet in terms of plant life and eventually humankind. It's his planet. We need to understand that. This is his world, not ours. God created it. He is its source. And it is wonderful and amazing. It's beyond description. Even the things that we see today, and it, all its wonder and complexity and variety. I'm just walking along the coastal path or whatever else last week. The things that we see that are absolutely wonderful. I saw a red squirrel this week, by the way, and I, that was a highlight of my trip to the Isle of Wight. I've never seen a red squirrel, and it was about four foot away from us. Absolutely beautiful. I think it was, I think it was home reared almost, this uh, red squirrel. But anyway, absolutely wonderful world that God made. God created it. We also read there that God made mankind in his likeness. goes back to the earlier chapter, chapter 1. Made in his image. We are made like God. It doesn't mean we are God. No more than my image is the same as me, but we're made in his likeness. We are made with the ability to think, to reason, to understand. We have the ability to create. There's some wonderfully creative people in this, sitting in front of me. I'm not one of them, but there's people here who can make things, think things up, make them. God gave us that ability. We have the ability to know what is right and what is wrong. We have an innate sense of justice, don't we? We'll talk about that a bit later on. We're made to form relationships, to love and to be loved, to care, be cared for. All of those things and others are because we're made in the likeness of the Creator. God made us in his image. And finally, we read in those <coughs> verses that God blessed them. God blessed them. God gave them this wonderful world. And he says, it's yours. It's yours to enjoy. You know, I can remember when I was a, a young lad, I, I was uh, growing up, I... Um, don't want you to sympathize too much with me, but growing up from a fairly poor family, and, uh, and um, uh, my dad didn't have uh, much money. And uh, one, one of my birthdays when I was 10, an uncle who did have a bit of money, um, he bought me a fishing set. He bought me a little, one of those wicker baskets, those creels, uh, as we called them, and a fishing rod and a proper reel. And now I was a real fisherman, I could be like all the other people who sat along the park. I didn't just have to use some beat-up old, uh, old rod and, and a tatty reel. I had a new fishing kit. And he said, it's for you. Really? For me? Yes, it's for you. Take it. I'll always remember that day. And God says to Adam and Eve, here it is. This is for you. This is for you to take care of, but this is for you to enjoy. All of it is for you and for those that will come after you. It's a wonderful present. He said, it's all for you, everything. But he said, 
don't eat from that tree there. That tree, don't eat from that one. Because if you do, according to the Bible, he said, God says, you will surely die. And a voice came to Adam and to Eve, a whisper in their head that said, no, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. Don't, don't believe what God's saying to you. Actually, the truth is, if you eat from that tree, you won't just be like, made in the likeness of God, you will be like God. You'll be like God. And they had the choice, free choice. Did they trust the one who'd made this wonderful world and made them and got the world that God had given to them? Did they trust him or did they believe what this whisper said? Or did they want to be like God? And we know the decision that they made. And everything changes at that point, doesn't it? Their relationship to God changes. Their relationship with each other changes. Their relationship to the created world and the environment changes. And they have to learn some new words that God never intended them to have in their vocabulary. Words like blame, it's your fault. Like anger, like pain, like death. Those words now become part of their vocab which God never wanted them to, ha to know because of the decision that they'd made, it, they'd made. But something else changed. If I was to go on and read the next verse in chapter 5, verse 3, it talks about Adam. And it said, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. It's a telling verse. You see, God, man was made in God's image. But now, all of Adam's children would be in Adam's image. <coughs> you sometimes say, don't we, when we see little babies and things, doesn't she look like a mom or doesn't she look like a dad? And, and I, I, I struggle, I have to confess, to sometimes see these family likenesses. And sometimes we say, Didn't, doesn't so-and-so have that trait that his dad had? The way he speaks or the way he walks or, or something. You've got character traits. don't know why some of you are looking at each other at this point in the moment, but well, can, uh, I'm sure that's because you're recognizing that it's true. We do bear traits of our family. But it's much deeper than that. Much, much deeper. Because Adam's son and Adam's children now bore inherently... A trait. A trait that meant that they also had the potential and the desire to do what their father Adam and their mother Eve had done. And that is to choose to do what is wrong. To choose not to trust God and to choose to do what's best for them. That trait that Adam and Eve had, had gave to their, to their children. And now everyone that was going to be born would be born with that character trait. And it's there. It's true. It's there for me. I don't know about you. I know it's there. Sometimes I work hard against it. Sometimes I try and cover it up. But the truth is, I've got something in me that wants to do what's best for me. I don't want you to see it. Not too obviously, anyway. But it's there. That potential to go that way. And not to trust God, but 
but to trust my own judgment. They did all inherit it. That we all inherited that. So God, who created a beautiful, amazing world and gave it to Adam and Eve, sees this whole world being spoilt. How would you feel? We come back to Noah. Move on from Adam the prequel. Let's go back to Noah. Aronofsky, the the director of this film, says he's stuck reasonably close to the biblical account. Obviously, like this morning, to make a a feature film of an hour and a half or more, he's going to add in things. I'll let you judge for yourself whether you think he's added in fairly or not, um, if you go and get to see it. Um, But we're going to read now, very briefly, the biblical account. So Kim's going to come and read. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 13 which is page what in the Bible? Page 8. Page 8. Do you want... Yeah, sorry, 6 verses 5 to 12, isn't it, you're reading? Let's just pick out a few things from there about God. Because I asked the question, what sort of God is it that could do this to this world, to his world? First of all, we see there quite clearly that God sees. God sees. It says, the Lord saw that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil all the time. You then read further on. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, how the earth is filled with violence. You see, God sees it all. God sees it all. God sees into every human heart And he sees the actions that result from that human heart. Nothing is hidden. He sees it all. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm watching the news at home, this is true, sometimes when I'm watching or listening to the news, I think I've watched or I've listened to enough. There's things that I hear and and, and see that I think I don't really want to hear and see anymore. I can't imagine what the suffering of these people is like. I can't imagine what it's like for this family who've suffered, who've had this experience, these things happen to them. I can't, I don't want to, I don't, and I honestly don't want to know. And so I switch off, or I switch over to something else. I just see a little bit. God sees it all. Everything. How can that be? God sees each person, and each one matters. <coughs> and he also, therefore, as we read, he sees Noah. And he sees Noah, who's a blameless man. That doesn't mean he's perfect. He wasn't perfect. But he was a man who sought to go God's way, and he sought to walk the way that God went. Therefore, he agreed with God. Can you imagine what it was like for Noah to live in that society? To be, it seems, the only man who was prepared to go in a different way? Can you imagine how tough that was? And yet he did, because he trusted God, and he walked God's way. So God sees. The second thing is God grieves. God grieves. We've read that man's heart was full of evil. What was, man's, what was God's heart full of? I know this is not literal. It's trying to explain things to us that we couldn't otherwise understand. God's heart was full of pain in my NIV. Man's heart was full of evil. God's heart was full of 
of pain. He grieved for this world that he'd made and for the people that he'd made. You know, we have an innate sense of justice, don't we? So, when I'm driving along the motorway and a car comes past me at 100 miles an hour, I'm only doing 70, of course, exactly. I never go beyond. Thank you, Kim. Um, Well, my wife doesn't sometimes, that's for sure. So, a car comes past me at 100 miles an hour and I, uh, a, few, a few miles down the road, I see this car on the side with a, policeman t- a policeman's car next to him. And I say, or think if I don't say, it serves you jolly well right. Because I've got this innate sense of justice that if this guy is going so fast, particularly if he overtakes me, I think he should be caught. And he deserves it. But of course, when I'm going fast, well, that's a different matter. I have to. Because I've got to get there. I mean, I'm late and all the rest of it, you know. I don't deserve justice, but he does. And so I've got a sort of sense of justice, but it's slightly warped in my favor. Again, that bias (coughs) comes out. But God sees everything. And his justice is pure and perfect. It's not warped at all. And he sees these people and their self-centered living and their outward corruption and violence that filled the earth, it says. And because he cares, he can't ignore it. You see, if God was indifferent, if God was just out there aloof and all the rest of it, it wouldn't matter, would it? It's because he cares that he's grieved. It's because he loves that his heart is filled with pain. Because that's what God is like. Me, I'm sort of indifferent. That's why I can switch over the news and look at another program. And within two minutes, I've forgotten about that terrible situation and that millionth refugee from Syria and what it's like for that woman and her children living in Lebanon where they've got no money, no one to support them. I forget. But God doesn't. And because he loves... And because he's just, he can't ignore the situation. Thirdly, God judges. Because he's righteous, he can never say it doesn't matter. It's okay. (laughs) It's all right. Just carry on. It's okay. He can't. He can't because his justice is pure and perfect, as we've already said. And he says, wrong must be put right. Must be put right. This is my world, and my world has to be right. It can't be, it can't be left wrong. I've got to put it right. And he says, I'm going to destroy this world. I'm going to put it right. And all that's wrong is going to be washed away destroyed but even then I believe God is patient I slightly disagree slightly with Julia in terms of the time it took to build the ark although she might be right of course because we don't actually know but I but when we read in 1 Peter 3 that God when he's Peter when he's writing about Noah he says he says God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built God waited patiently how long did God wait I don't know 
But as Julia uh, said, that building the ark would have taken an awful long time. And the film, by the way, has not got a computer-generated ark. It's got, they've really built the actual ark to the right dimensions. So if you want to see how big it is, you can go and watch the film as well. It would have taken a fair time, wouldn't it, to build this, even with power tools, even with the help of the three boys who I'm sure had to, had to help out or whatever else, and to get all the stores ready. And I wonder if the 120 years that's referred to in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, which we're not going to go back and look at, I wonder if that's the time that it took to build the ark. It's only possible. God waited patiently. He gave them all this time while this ark was being built to actually realize that God took sin seriously and that there was a judgment coming and gave them opportunity to turn their ways and turn back to him. He gave them. He waited patiently. He didn't just click his fingers and say, oh, it's too bad, let's wipe it away. God, God cared. And he waits patiently for them as he waits patiently for people today. And finally, we see the mercy of God because although he came to the point where he had to destroy the earth, he saved Noah and his family and he, so that humankind could continue and also so that obviously the, the animal world could also be saved. And as Julia read to us, then when they come out of that ark after more than a year, God makes a covenant. He makes a promise with them that he'll never destroy the earth by a flood. That is the end of the story of Noah. Now, when I've watched the film Noah, am I going to go feeling, am I going to walk out of that cinema feeling happy and feeling uplifted? Well, I don't know, because I don't know how, how it all comes together in the film. As I read this story, am I going am I, am I to think that this is okay? Well, the answer is no. In one sense, yes, because it's a new world, new star. In another sense, no. And why not? Because of what we read in Genesis chapter 8, and that's after the flood. And in Genesis chapter 8, we read that God sees the human heart of Noah and his family, and what does he see? He sees that it's inclined towards evil. You see, nothing has changed in one sense. Nothing has changed. The problem continues. Man's heart is still to go its own way. And God's heart is still a heart of love and also a heart of justice. So the problem still remains. We need another film, folks. And in closing, I'd like to suggest that the sequel, the ultimate sequel to Noah and to Adam, is Jesus. Jesus is the sequel, the ultimate sequel. He is the one that enables God's righteousness, justice, and his love, and therefore reconciliation with mankind to come together. In closing, let me just read these Verses to you from Hebrews chapter 9. Just a couple of verses. It says this. <coughs> Hebrews 9, 26. But now he, and he's talking about Jesus Christ, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages <coughs> to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, the answer, God's rescue plan, the ark was just a a picture in a sense. I believe it's true, but the ark was just a picture. The ark was a picture of one who was going to come who truly would rescue humanity. And he did it because God's judgment fell on him. The only perfect, the only truly blameless man to walk this earth. And on him, God's judgment fell. So that you and I could know forgiveness. So that you and I can actually have a relationship with him that will go beyond this life. And I'm grateful for that. Because the truth is I know what my heart is like. And I know that I could never get right with God. That's just being absolutely honest. I'm not, and it's true for each of you as well. There's not, you can't do it by trying to be good. It's only by God's grace, costly grace, in the judgment falling on Jesus, that we can be truly rescued. That is God's rescue plan. And we'll be thinking more about that as we come towards Easter.